Man, it's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you on our live stream as well. It's good to be with you here today, man. I've been out for a while. I want to just say thank you for all the guys that preached while I was gone, man. Cody Turner, C.J. Lucky, Aaron Gregory. Last week, Hannah Massad, who's our missionary to Jordan, was here. Did a great job. If you'd like to get one of his books, he talked about last week. We've got some out there at our connection. And uh, if you'd read it, we'd be happy to give you one. We'd rather you read it than it set out there. So if you'd like to get one of those books, we want to be sure to do that. It's good to be back, man. I've been out for a while. I did a whole bunch of stuff while I was gone. I went on a uh, FCA camp with uh, Brett Lang, start things off. And then uh, after that, I went on a fly fishing trip, man, with Rob Watkins up to Colorado, where we just slayed them, all right? We crushed them. We cut all kinds of fish. And then I went on a mission trip to Guadalajara for about 10 days with uh, Brian Rosalba Epps. And then this past week, all my grandkids have been in my house at the same time, all right? Man, I've had a big month. And, and, and basically, I'm just telling you, I haven't slept for a month, all right? So, uh, man, I'm just running on caffeine and adrenaline this morning. So you guys listen quick, all right? So, but anyway, it's really good to be back. I'm super excited. We got a lot of great things going on in our church. We've got some new staff members coming on. We had a guy in our church, a couple in our church, really, Matt and Cherry Bramlett, that were raised up in this church, went to youth ministry here uh, on through college and uh, led worship for us a number of times. Twelve years ago, we as a church sent them as missionaries to Boston to plant a church in the city of Boston. It's one of the most unreached cities in America. They went up there 12 years ago and uh, planted a church and was very successful, helped plant a church and was successful, planted two other additional churches in the Boston area during the last 12 years. Then about a year ago, they felt like maybe God was calling them back to San Angelo. And at the time, we were looking for some staff help in production and worship. And so after a long interview process and all that, God's brought all that together. And uh, so Matt and Cherry Bram will be on staff. They'll be coming back and coming back on staff. Be here next Sunday, all right? So I wanted to give you guys heads up about that. We're super excited about that. So we'll give that a congratulations to Matt and Cherry Bramlett. We're excited. We're also looking for a middle school pastor. It's a job posting that's out right now to come alongside C.J. Lucky and Cody Turner and our family ministry. So if you know somebody that might be qualified to do that, they can apply, go online. That application is open. They can apply there. There'll be a process for that as well. So a lot going on. We're going to have a big fall, all right? A lot of things are going to happen this fall in our church. I believe God's going to do a lot of great things. And I believe that God wants to use some of you to do that. That God wants to, to, do, to use you to do that. That God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you to make a difference for the kingdom of God. That God wants to do that in you. So I want to uh, just kind of get ready for the fall. I'm going to do a little serious today. I kick it off called What If. Uh, what if God wants to use you? What if God wants to use you? And the way God uses people is God does something in us on the inside that is so radical that is then reflected on how we live our life on the inside. Many times as believers, we think, well, before God can use me, I got I to gotta get all my ducks in a row and, and I've got to do this and I've got to live this way and I've got to read my Bible and I've got to pray and all these things I have to do on the outside. And if I do all these things on the outside, God will change me on the inside and then he can use me for his kingdom. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. The bi way the Bible presents it is, is that God steps in and does something in us on the inside that so transforms us that it's then reflected in how we live our life on the outside. And we see this even in the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured before them. In 17.2, it says, he was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. In other words, when we talk about Jesus, the glory of God was what was on inside of Jesus. 
And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he just pulled back the outside a little bit so you could see what was really going on on the inside. Whatever's on the inside is always revealed on the outside. And God wants to do something on you to change you on the inside so that it changes the way you act on the outside. And I want to show this to you from Scripture. So if you have your Bible, you can open to, to Judges chapter 6. Judges, Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. The book of Judges. It begins with the death of Joshua. Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. When he dies, it ushers in the, the time of Judges all the way to Saul, the first king of Israel. All right? And so in the, in, the, in the book of Judges, basically the key verse is everyone did, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel, 17.6, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And when you begin to do what's right in your own eyes, it always produces difficulties and trials in your life. And so there was this, this general cycle in the book of Judges, all right? And it would be like this. The nation of Israel would stray away from following God. They would sin. And because of their sin, God would allow some uh, foreign country to come in and oppress them. There would be a time of oppression that would get so bad that they would finally cry out to God. And when they cried out to God, God would raise up a judge to deliver them as a leader of their nation. And then they would have a period of peace. And after that period of peace, they would again fall into sin. Oppression would take place. They would cry out to God and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. There are 12 judges in the book of Judges, six major and six minor. The most significant of those is a guy named Gideon. He takes place right in the middle of Judges, Judges chapter 6, and that's what I want to look at today. So Judges chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 11. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abzerite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, when this event takes place, man, the nation of Israel was in trouble. And chapter six begins like this. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years and they oppressed Israel. So this country, the Midianites came in and began to oppress Israel. And the way they were able to do that is they discovered a new technology, a new weapon that Israel had no defense against. And this is going to sound funny, but they had the camel. And nobody would think that the camel was that big of a deal. But when the Midianites discovered the camel, they were able, you know, camels can travel like 100 miles without water. They can carry heaven loads. They were like a, a, some kind of a SUV, four-wheel drive Toyota, man, because uh, you know, basically what would happen is the Midianites, they would, they would live, they were nomadic tribes, and they would wait right until all the crops were ripe in Israel. All the Israelites do all the work, they'd plant everything, they'd have the, and right about the time they would harvest the crops, here comes the Midianites with all their camels. And just a whole mass of them would just flood into the country and overwhelm all the Israelites, and they would just steal all their stuff. They would steal all their crops, they'd steal their donkeys, they would steal their oxen, they would just steal all their stuff and take it from them, and then boom, they would disappear, wait until another year went by, and they would show up again and steal all their stuff again. This went on for seven years, and the longer it went on, the worse things got in Israel. In fact, it says in verse 6, so Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out 
to the Lord. Literally, it says they became very low. It's a significant wording in the New Testament. Because when the promise was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, God said, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to make you into a great nation. But instead of being a great nation, they were brought very low by the Midianites. It got so bad that they cried out to the Lord. And when they cried out to the Lord, God did two things for them. All right? Number one, he did something in Judges chapter 6 that he has never done in the book of Judges before. The first thing he does is he sends them a prophet. It says in chapter 6, verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord, verse 8, sent a prophet to them. And he said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave them you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites whose land you live in. Here's the problem. But you did not obey me. I did all this for you, but you refused to obey me, right? And then so basically God sends a prophet so they'll know why all this is going on in their life. The problem is you got a spiritual problem. Now you might be here today and you might have some difficulties in your life. You might have some issues, some difficulties, some challenges, and you might look at your life and, and you're wondering, man, why is all this happening to me? This was the nation of Israel. They were like, why is all this oppression? So God, in his grace, sent them a prophet to say, bro, you got a spiritual problem. There are lots of reasons you could have difficulties in your life. One, we just live in a fallen world. And sometimes people sin against us. Somebody else sins against us, does something to us that's wrong, that causes difficulty in our life. Sometimes natural disasters take place. We just live in a fallen world. But other times... We face difficulties because we do things that are good and we get persecuted for following Jesus, right? It says in, the, in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. But there are other times when God steps in and just disciplines us because we're not living our life the way we should. Difficulties come into our life. Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son that he receives. If you got kids, sometimes you have to discipline them. And the reason you discipline them is to protect them from doing something that's going to harm them worse, right? Like you can remember when you were a kid, you're fixing to jump off the roof because you thought you could fly. And your mom's like, if you jump off the roof, I'm going to give you a busting because I can't believe you would do that to me. Yeah, because I'm trying to protect you from doing something that's going to harm you worse. Or maybe if you got a little kid, they're going to reach up and grab a hot stove. And you see it at the last minute. You might, yell, you might yell out or you might grab their hand. You might even slap their hand away. And your kid's like, what? I can't believe you're slapping my hand away. Which I'm disciplining you because if you would have grabbed the hot stove, it would have hurt you a lot worse. Sometimes God allows things in our life to get our attention to say, dude, you keep living that way. Like before I got saved, man, I, I didn't think about God or the things of God. I just, I did what was right in my own eyes. And the longer I lived that way, the crazier my life got. And I started having all kinds of troubles and difficulties and trouble with the law and trouble with my parents and trouble with my loved ones and issues at work and issues with my car. And I'm like, man, what's going on in my life? Well, it was the way I was living. But in reality, God used that difficulty in my life to help me so that when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what? I was ready for a change. So God allowed the, the, the Midianites to oppress the Israelites, but he didn't just allow. He sent them a prophet so that you know you got a spiritual problem. Now, normally when you, when you 
fall away from God, you would think God's going to judge us. But rather than God judging us, God in his grace begins to raise up a deliverer named Gideon. But before he could use Gideon as a deliverer, he had to do something in him first. So it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came as an act of grace and sat down under the oak that it was in Oprah. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wide press in order to save from the many nights. And the angel of the Lord said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what makes it funny is that Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior. He was threshing out wheat in a wine press because he was afraid that the Midianites might see it and might come and take it. But God doesn't see him as he is. God sees him as he can be with God's presence in his life. So last week, I went on a mission trip, week before last, to Guadalajara. And the last day we were there, second to the last day, we took a tour of Guadalajara. It's a beautiful city, southern Mexico, you know, five million plus people. Uh, we went downtown, took the tour. There's this humongous, uh, you know, beautiful 1800 cathedral down there. And we, went, we were walking around this park. And in this park, they had these statues. Like every 50 feet, they have a statue of some famous person in the history of Guadalajara. And they had all these different people and they had, you know, what they did. Some of them were teachers and some of them were educators and some of them were inventors and some of them were famous politicians and, you know, some of them gave a bunch of money and, and they were up there and somebody built an orphanage and, and they were all these famous people. And I was like, dude, where's the statue to the people that were just out there grinding? You know, just the people like us, the men and the women that just trying to live their life, man, getting up in the morning and going to work, trying to raise your kids, trying to make a living, trying to find somebody to, to marry, whatever, just people out there grinding because that's the kind of people that built Guadalajara, right? That's the kind of people that built, that's the kind of people that are here today, just normal people that are just out there grinding, get up every morning, go to work, trying to follow Jesus, trying to, where's the statue to that guy, right? Well, this is Gideon, man. Gideon's not really a mighty warrior. He's just a dude that's out there grinding. He's out there trying to provide for his family. And the way you normally thrashed wheat is you would go up by your wheat field up on top of a big hill where the wind was blowing, and you'd find a big empty place like this, and you would cut all the grain, and you'd pile it in a pile, and then you would take a threshing sled, usually pulled by an oxen or something, and you would run it across there to knock the grain out of the, 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 the stalk of wheat, and then you would go out there, and you would take a pitchfork and throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall down on the threshing floor, and after a while, you'd have a big pile of wheat. But, Midian couldn't, but, but Gideon couldn't do that because, man, if I do that on top of that hill, the Midianites might see me and they might come and take my stuff. So instead, he's down in a wine press with a little bit of wheat just trying to grind it out and beat out some wheat that he can provide for his family. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says to him, man, hey, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. It wasn't that he was a mighty warrior. It was just that when God looked at him, he saw what he could be with God's prayer. This is how God sees you. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failure. People look at us, and that's your failure, and that's your flaws. No, God looks at you, and he sees what you can be with his presence, and he always calls you into that. So you see, like in, in uh, Genesis chapter 17, he goes up to a guy named Abram, who's 99 years old and has no children. He says, you know what, bro, I'm going to change your name. No longer you're going to be Abram. Now you're going to be Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of a multitude. Abraham was anything but a father of a multitude at that point. He was 99 years old and didn't have any kids. But God saw what he could be with his presence. He goes up to Simon, 
right? It says, when Jesus very first meets Simon, he says, your name is Simon, which means pebble. But you know what? I'm changing your name to Peter, which means a rock. Because I'm fixing to build my church on your confession of faith. He calls us into what he can see us being with his presence. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the uh, Gerizim demoniac. Remember the guy that was, had so many demons in him that Jesus cast all the demons out into the pigs and the pigs went and all drowned. One of my favorite story in the Bible is Jesus is basically, you know, with his disciples in Galilee, says, let's, let's go to their side of the lake. And they all get in the boat and on the way over the storm comes up, they all going to drown. And, and Jesus wakes up and says, peace be still. And then he gets over there and this guy that's, he's, his name is Legion. Legion is 6,000. His name is Legion because he's demon possessed. He's living amongst the tomb. He doesn't have any clothes on. He's cutting himself. He's crying out at night. As soon as Jesus gets up on the shore, this guy runs down towards them, you know, and then he starts begging him, don't, don't send us, the demons start talking to Jesus, don't send us into the abyss, send us into those pigs over there. And Jesus is like, fine. So all the demons leave the man, go into the pigs, and the pigs ran off down the ocean and drown, you know, off the cliff and drown in the ocean. It's so, such a great story. I just, can I take a little poll? How many people have even seen 2,000 pigs in one pile before? All right? Just imagine 2,000 pigs running off into the ocean and bobbing around. I mean, it's just a classic. should make a movie out of it, really. So Jesus, Jewish, when he goes to that area, it says in Mark chapter 5 that it's the area of Decapolis. Five cities. It's Gentiles. It's the first mission trip. Jesus basically leaves Jewish territory to go into Gentile territory to proclaim the gospel. He only shares it with one guy, the demon-possessed guy. The guy that in the first of the story is running out, out of his mind crazy. At the end of the story, he's sitting down at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. The townspeople freak out. you got to leave. And so Jesus gets back in the boat, and the guy says, take me with you. I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He says, dude, you can't go with me. I want you to stay here and tell your friends and family about what God has done for you. That's in the story. Gets in the boat and leaves. There's only the word decapolis only appears in the Bible three times. Chapter five of Mark, chapter seven of Mark. In chapter seven of Mark, a year later, right before Jesus crucified, he leaves Galilee to take this little tour through Gentile territory to spend time with his disciples. And as he's going through this, he comes around and he does what's known as the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus feeds 5,000 earlier and they were all Jewish, which kind of says Jesus is enough for all the Jewish people. He's enough. He can multiply it, man. Any Jewish person that wants to get saved, Jesus is enough. But later, he feeds 4,000 people. And the 4,000 people are all Gentiles. And it's just Jesus also saying, I'm not only enough for the Jews, I'm also enough for the Gentiles. You know where this feeding of 4,000 took place? It says in 731 of Mark, in the area of the Decapolis. My only question is when Jesus rolled through the Decapolis a year later, why is it there 4,000 people that wanted to hear what Jesus had to say? I think it's because the demon-possessed guy had been spending the last year telling everybody he could about Jesus. Because Jesus did something so radical in him that it so impacted him on the inside that it changed how he acted on the outside. And he had spent a whole year. He's probably the greatest. Jesus goes over there on a mission trip. He's like, I'm just looking for one dude. I just need one person. I just need one person that would so radically get you. Where's the most unlikely person in the whole bunch? 
That's the dude I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person that everybody else writes off that nobody thinks can ever do anything with their life. I'm looking for the weakest person so that I can demonstrate my strength through him so they can be the greatest evangelist that Gentile nations have ever seen. This is Gideon. Gideon's not a mighty warrior. God didn't pick him. My wife and I were talking about this because of his potential. God picked him because of his weakness. He's threshing out wheat in a wine press because he's afraid. God shows up, says, hey, man, God's with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon starts making excuses, verse 13. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? And where are all these wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. And then it says, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grass of Midian. I'm sending I'm sending you. Here's Gideon. God shows up. Angel of the Lord. Lord's with you, mighty warrior. He's like, man, if the Lord's with me, why is all this going on? Why are we being oppressed? Why is this being difficult? It seems like to me that God has abandoned us, right? And I, I mean, Gideon's discouraged. He defeated. I understand being discouraged. I'm trying to serve God, and this is happening. Maybe you feel the same way. I'm trying to follow God, and this is happening in my life. Are you serious? Where's God? God's abandoned us. Now, the reality was God hadn't abandoned them. They had abandoned God. I was reading this passage of scripture. I'm reading through the Bible a couple weeks ago, and I just wrote across the top of my Bible. Man, God didn't abandon them. They abandoned God. Dude, Joash, Gideon's father, he had a, he had a altar to Baal in his own backyard. He had an Asher pole in his own, an idol in his own backyard. What's the number one commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Bro's got an altar to a false god in his own backyard, and his claim is, oh, God, you abandoned us. Ain't no God abandoned him. It was that they had abandoned God. Now, if you abandoned God, what would you expect to have happen? You'd expect God's going to come down and put the hammer on this guy. But God doesn't put the hammer on this guy. You know what God does? God invites this guy to join him. I don't want you to miss this. The angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's not an angel because it's not an angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord showed up. When you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it almost always refers to God himself coming down in the flesh. A theophany. God himself appearing in human form. And the reason we know this, because when you see this phrase, the angel of the Lord, later in the scripture, it'll, it'll say God or Yahweh and refer to the same person. So you think about Exodus chapter three, the burning bush, Exodus chapter three, two, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire within a bush. And then it goes on to say in Exodus three, four, when the Lord Yahweh saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. The angel of the Lord, you see it in this passage of scripture. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. Verse 14, Yahweh turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Basically, what was the sin that the nation of Israel committed? They did not obey the Lord. So how did God respond to that? In grace, God himself came down in human form to talk to Gideon in a way that he could understand. Oh, you... You didn't understand me the first time? 
I'm going to come down the second time. I'm going to appear in human form and talk to you in a way you can understand. It says that the Lord turned to him, verse 14, or looked at him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I'm sending, oh, I'm going to send you. No, I'm going to use you. What if God wants to use you? I'm sending you. Well, you just don't know who I am. I, 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 God could never use me. It don't matter about you. It matters what God wants to do in you. I'm sending you. And like God, God shows down. God is sitting there on the rock, and here's Gideon. Dude, God's abandoned us. I just imagine God going. As the Lord turned, you want to talk about that, bro? I want to talk about fire of pits of hell coming down and sucking you up right now. It's not what God does. You know what God says? In grace, he says, I'm going to use you. Man, this, this nation of Israel is in terrible shape, man. They, 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 they've, they've turned their back on God. They've abandoned God. They're not doing what God said. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. God invites Gideon in on it. He says, go in the strength that you have. Look, he's not talking about the strength that Gideon. He's not like pull yourself up. You know what the best Gideon could do? He could bust out wheat in the wine press. He says, go in the strength you have. What strength that he has? He received a new strength the minute God said, the Lord is with you. We're not talking about doing something on our own power. We're talking about just simply being obedient to do what God asks you to do. See, we, we, we think that following God is about me doing a bunch of stuff to impress God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get a bunch of knowledge. I'm going to pray a whole bunch. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do all this stuff. God's going to be real impressed with me. That's still all about you. The opposite side is the saying you should do all those things. But the, the problem is if that's your mentality on Christianity, you know what the result is? Entitlement. Oh, God owes me. Look at all the stuff. This church owes me. Look at all the stuff I'm doing for this church. God owes me. Look at all the stuff I'm doing for God. That's not the, the way God presents it is this. Dude, I can't do nothing. I can't do anything on my own. God, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? What do you want? Go in the strength that you have. God, what do you want me to do? That's what I'll go do. And if you begin to do what God wants you to do, you'll come to know God by experience. And you see this because what happens, God will ask you to do something and you won't want to do it because it takes faith to follow God. And, and uh, faith is hard, so we have a crisis, what's called a crisis of belief. You see this, he says, go and I'll be with you. You'll, he says, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grass of Midian. I'm sending you, watch this, verse 15. Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the youngest. Starts making excuses. Verse 16, God says, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. This is the promise to Moses. I'll be with you. This is the promise to Joshua. I'll be with you. This is the promise to you, believer. Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all life commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. You don't even have to make up stuff to do for God. All you have to do is just be obedient to do what God wants you to do. Like one time, you know, Ashley's married to Chris James. And Chris James' dad, Wes James, he's led worship here a few times. He, he's a, a, a revivalist. He would go do revivals and, and lead worship. 
And one time, a, a long time ago, uh, he called me up and, and he said, hey, I got this buddy that's doing a revival and, they, and it, they're really having a revival. God's really doing something. We got to go check this thing out. I said, great, I'll go with you. I thought it was like two hours away. It was an hour the other side of Dallas. So it took us like six hours to get to this little church where they were having this revival. They'd been having it for like seven nights in a row. And so we went and uh, we got there and we did the prayer time and God was definitely doing something at church. It was cool just to be there to see it. Had the worship time, the preaching time. And but here's what was crazy. When it was over, the pastor comes up and the pastor is making announcements like, hey, we're going to meet tomorrow night and we got this going on. And while the guy was making announcements, this guy stood up in the audience in the back. He just stands up and he says really loud. He's like, I can't take it anymore. I got to get saved right now. Me and my whole family want to get saved. Everybody in the whole room just went Brr. And the pastor's like, well, come on down here to the front. And they come, the whole family, like kids and mom, they come down. They all pray to receive Christ. I'm like, dude, I never seen nobody get saved during the announcements. <laughs> during the announcements, this guy gets saved. And so I'm just like, man, this is awesome. I'm just like all fired up about it, man. And then the guy says, hey, we're going we're gonna to take up a love offering to support the evangelist and the music guy. So anything you give in this offering. And, and so while I'm all fired up, you know, I just feel like the Lord says to me, he just says to me, hey, you should give him some money. I said, okay. You know, what do you want me to give him? He said, everything in your billfold. Well, I didn't really think that was that big of a deal because I don't really carry that much stuff in my billfold, right? This was years ago. I popped that thing open. I was all fired up about it. I had a couple of 20s and a 10, and then there was a $100 bill in there. How did a $100 bill get my bill full? Well, then all at once, I started kind of backing up. I had this crisis of belief. I'm like, really, God? You want me to give all my money in my bill full? Can't I just give him the 20s or the 10, the ones? I got to give all my money. I mean, it wasn't even that much money, but just when God asks you to do stuff, sometimes there's this, like, it's a pushback because when there is no king... Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. It's not that there's no king. It's just that you're king. And when the king shows up in your life, who are you going to listen to? And so I sat there and, you know, finally I said, you know what? God told me to do it, man. I'll do it. And I, and I, and I put all the money in there and that was it. Somebody bought my dinner on the way home. I was like, dude, that was a great deal. About two weeks later, I was in my office. This guy came in, and I don't really remember all the details. I think maybe I'd done a funeral or something, and they had forgot to pay me or whatever. But anyway, a guy comes in and says, hey, you did this, and we forgot to pay you. So we just wanted to pay you, and he gives me this envelope. And uh, so I opened it up and had some cash in there. But here's the thing about it. When I, when I looked in there, the amount of cash in that envelope was almost exactly double what I had given at that revival. And, 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 and it wasn't about the money. I'm, I'm not trying to say if you give, God will give you double. But in that moment, man, it was like God just spoke to me and said, I just want you to know, man, I got you. If I ask you to do something, I got you. And it was like I came to know the reality of God 
in that moment. This is what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to know him. I mean, you can read the story. God's going to ask Gideon to do some stuff. But Gideon, at the end of the day, is going to know God personally. Right? It's not what we do for God. It's if we're willing to just do what God asks us to do. So you could just take the whole story. Just like the nation of Israel abandoned God, did their own thing. That's the way we are. We all go our own way. Do our, if you don't know Jesus, man, you just do what's right in your own eyes. And you know what? Chances are you got oppression in your life. You got drama. You got things going on. You got difficulties. But even as believers, we get off track and we stop doing what God wants us to do. We start doing our own thing, man. And difficulties come in to our life. And in the midst of our difficulty where God should just crush us down instead of grace, God himself comes down to this earth in human form in a way that we can understand in the name of Jesus. And Jesus comes down to deliver us out of our oppression. And he comes down in great weakness, just an obedience to the Father. So much weakness and servitude that he actually goes to the cross and dies on the cross. And you think, you know, it's been defeated. But in reality, Jesus defeats. He takes on the greatest enemy, sin and death, and on the cross defeats him. And three days later to prove it, God raises him back to life and basically then turns around by grace and speaks to you and says, man, if you'll turn from your sin and your life and just trust in Jesus, man, I'll set you free from your oppression and give you a whole new life. If you're just willing to do it by faith. And for whatever reason, man, we have this crisis of belief. That won't work for me. No, I'm telling you, it'll work for you. And if you do it, you'll come to know God by experience, the reality of God in your life. And for some of you that are believers, man, you, you've got all into doing things for God rather than just saying, God, what do you want me to do? That's, I mean, it could be a hundred different things. It could be being baptized. It could be coming to church every day for a month. It could be reading your Bible. It could be prayer. It could be giving. It could be forgiveness. It could be you need to forgive that person, whatever. The question is just whether or not you'll be obedient. And if you're obedient, God will always do what he said he will do, and you'll come to know him in a completely new way. We're going to close out with this last song. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head for a minute. I want to pray for you. If you're here today, man, and I talked to a guy in first service. Oh, he's got difficulties in his life. He's never trusted in Jesus. That may be you. I would say you wouldn't be here today if God wasn't already working in your life. He's gracious to speak to you in a way you could understand. And he's inviting you. It's an opportunity to turn from your sin and your life and you being king of your life and trust in Jesus instead. And the promise is if you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from your sin, saved from your oppression, saved and set free to a new life, eternal life with him one day. It's the greatest opportunity possible. But you have to seize your opportunity. By faith, you have to be obedient to do what God asks you to do.
So if that's you today, you, you can do it right where you're at. You can right now, you can just in your spirit, cry out to God, cry out to God, God, deliver me. I'm a sinner. I know it. Deliver me from my sin. I make Jesus Christ Lord. I make him my king. I turn to him by faith. Would you save me and forgive me of my sins? Set me free. Change me on the inside. Cause me to be born again that I could live a different life. What if God wants to save you right now? What if God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people? Don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life. I pray in Jesus' name.